0: The Apostle Paul writes to this community in Ephesus in the first century, he says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He prays that these saints would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that with the eyes of their heart enlightened, that They would know what is the hope to which he has called them, what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for for those who believe, according to the working of his great power. Christ the King, today is All Saints Sunday. For those uh, who are keeping track on your liturgical calendars that I know that you all keep by your bedside. Uh, reminders on your smartphones. All Saints Sunday. All Saints Sunday is, in part, um, a time when we remember uh, those faithfully departed uh, before us who have been exemplars of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But that's not it. That's not all that we remember today, Christ the King. Today, we also remember that in a world where it feels like sometimes that the darkness is winning that God calls you saints Christ the King, the good news is that you are called saints holy ones can we just let that like simmer for just a second this isn't even, like, my opinion of you. I'm not, I'm not translating, like, here. Like, God calls you saints. Holy ones. You are saints included in Christ's body. Along with the saints all across the globe, all over the world, Included in Christ's body with them and with the saints from ages past. And what's more is that God empowers you, God empowers us, his saints, today to live like it's true, to live like we're saints, holy ones. I don't like scary movies. Just for the record. Any scary movie, movie fans in here? Not really. Paul's not here. That's right. I'm not a fan of scary movies. Um, and just really not a fan of, of uh, that genre of stuff. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so this past week was, was Halloween. Um, and this past week, Caralisa uh, and I uh, were with uh, my family... Uh, in Eureka Springs because my brother was getting married there and it also happened to be zombie weekend in Eureka, Sp- Eureka Springs. And I'm not, I'm not like a fan of this stuff anyway, but one of the things that Carolisa and I were wrestling with is, we, is about a week before the wedding, maybe a little earlier than that, we were struck with this thought of like, oh my gosh, our girls who, for those of you don't know, are four and almost two, might see someone dressed up as a zombie and this seemed like a bad thing. Like we, well, it was, it was uh, something that we were, we were wrestling with. Like, what do we do about this? How do we protect from, them from that? What would ha- like, how do we explain this to them? How do we get them in front to try to you know, s- deal with all this? And it, of course, that question is just a smaller question that raises a bigger question that I'm sure that some of you guys have wrestled with before. Questions like, how do we handle death? What kind of exposure do we give our kids to, to stories and to images that are, are shadowy or, or frightening realities? Do, do we simply assert to our kids, like many sophisticated, modern, scientific, logical folk do, that all the stuff that goes bump in the night actually isn't real? That it's all pretend and make-believe? It isn't really there? If we did this, then what does that set them up for when they actually are inevitably as they get older confronted with real darkness and shadow in the world and even maybe more frightening still when they're confronted with it in their lives in their own hearts have you ever wrestled with questions like this Christ the King this past week as it was Halloween uh, we remembered death And all his friends. But today, Christ the King. And really every Sunday. But today we remember that there is a force stronger than death. That there is a reality more mystical than the shadows that lurk in the night. We remember that there is a light that pushes back darkness and divine love that is stronger than death. Yes, there are skeletons especially skeletons in the closet. They're there. There are shadows lurking on the streets and in the corners of our lives. Death and darkness are real, and it does us no good to pretend like they aren't. But God's light and life and love have broken forth in the world in Jesus Christ. And that means that despite all this darkness, and in spite of all this darkness, we are called holy ones, saints. And we are released, even tonight, Christ the King, with power, resurrection power, to live like it. In Ephesians one, um, uh, this the section that Judy read for us tonight. In in this whole section, in this whole letter, Paul is describing a God-saturated reality. and And if you read that first chapter, Paul is like really effusive, like with all these words. It's like actually difficult for me to read because you're you're tripping up over all these compound sentences and 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 descriptive words and. and Paul's just tripping over himself to describe a God-saturated reality, to describe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit actively at work in the world and in our lives. He's describing a world where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are lovingly bringing all things into God's intended goal for all creation and for humanity and how all of that um, broke forth in the fullness of time by the spirit in this this person this divine person jesus christ and how it's all being brought together in jesus christ it's all happening it's all unfolding in the world that god isn't removed from the world god hasn't just dropped in and done a little nice thing and gone away but this this reality this god saturated reality is actually unfurling unfolding gushing forth in their lives that's what Paul's describing. So note what Paul is not describing. Paul is not describing that this this world, this reality in which we're just trying to do our best to make things work. Does anybody feel like that sometimes? That's what I feel like a lot of times. I'm just like doing my best to make things work. Paul's not describing trying to trying our best to um to make things work and then to remember to include God in our plans. Paul is also not describing doing our best to, to make God happy with us so that somehow we can convince God to act on our, in our favor. No one would ever say that they believe that, but I believe that sometimes. My, my actions definitely, my consciousness is definitely in that zone of like, if I could just get this right... God would act in my favor. No, Paul is describing a world in which God is fully and already and actively and without our control, already working toward the most favorable ends of humanity and the universe that could possibly be. It's already happening. And Paul is inviting this community... To get in on it. And so he calls them saints. And you see what he's doing here. What he's doing, he's not not just calling them saints to puff them up. Or or to get them in on his side. To make them feel better about themselves, even though it's not true. What he's doing is he's trying to, to raise their vision... For what God is doing in the world and, and how what God is doing in the world relates to them as persons so that they can act like it. He's calling them saints because he wants them to live like it. He wants them to see the resurrection, the cross-formed resurrection power that's at work in their lives so that they can live like it. In fact, Paul uses this word saints to nine times... In his letter to the Ephesians, and all throughout his other letters, even to the, even to the letters where it 's like there were some jerks of that congregation, he even calls them saints too, all throughout his letters and it 's worth noting, because uh, maybe it 's easy to forget sometimes that, that these people to whom Paul was writing, they were just like us, sometimes even weirder. <laughs> Like, if you guys have read, read the 1st the and 2nd Corinthians, there was some weird stuff, some crazy stuff, some broken, messed up, shadowy, dark things going on in Ephesus that actually had to do with demons and, and eating meat sacrificed to them and like all this Halloween y kind of stuff. They were just like us. But they, if they're included in Christ, they are also holy ones. Saints. What's interesting is that Paul, don't miss this, Paul doesn't dampen the language. Paul doesn't try to qualify it. When I was working on the sermon, I kept like thinking, I need to qualify this. Like that was my, um, my gut feeling of like, yes, Paul says saints and, 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 it's, and it's unequivocal, but what he really means is yada, 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 yada. No, he says holy ones. It's a reality that's, that's already true. Those included in Christ are already called holy ones. And there's something about that that I think, especially us religious people, (laughs) whose consciousness, like, is often weighed down and heavy by the kind of people that we're not. Whose consciousnesses are are, are weighed down heavy by the voices that tell us all the junk about who we are. That we just need to let that simmer for a little bit. You're called a holy one. But Paul is not naive. God is not naive. The point is that, that God is at work and God is holy, purifying love. And when it comes to our identity, what matters most is not our action, but God's action. Not, not who we think we are, but who God is and what God is doing in the world. That's what matters most. And so Paul is not, he's not calling them out, and, and he's not ignoring their stuff. He's calling them up. He's calling them up into this God-saturated reality so that they can live as part of it. They can live like saints. So for Paul, who is a saint? A saint is not a special class of Christian. A saint is not a special class of Christian. When Paul calls us saints, he's saying that the most accurate way to identify ourselves is in terms of not what's in us, not what we think that we are, not what other people tell us that we are, not what your boss tells you that you are, not what your kids complain about you being, not what all the stuff that you think that you've done, not in terms of all of that stuff, that, that the most accurate way to identify ourselves is in terms of God's saving action and intent for our lives. The truest thing is not the darkness, not the shadow, but how the triune God is renewing all things. But it's also true that we are still being made holy. This is true. God is at work in us by His Spirit, applying Jesus' cross and resurrection power to our lives, making us holy, it does us no good to ignore or set aside the reality that residual sin, residual shadow, still lurks in our lives. I don't have to convince you of that. But it doesn't have to be the truest thing about us. And so, so Paul is opening up this way of, of neither of thinking about ourselves and acting neither self righteously, as if we're okay, or in self condemnation, where we just kick ourselves at, at how dirty of a sinner we are all the time. But rather, Paul calls us saints and invites us to honestly reckon with reality and to surrender to God's work, ongoing work of making us holy. So saints are those who live as if their identity, and and others' identity, in the stuff going on in the world, is not determined by death and darkness, but by God's action. And just to double down on this, hear me say this is not just determined by what God is saying, like as if God has, is sitting up in heaven and has just said that something is true, but is actually determined by God's active, renewing, saving work in our lives and in the world by the Spirit. God's speech actually is His action. That's another thing. We can talk about that at a different time. And so this is important. This is important that our identity, the way we see ourselves, the way that we see others, and the way that we see the, see the world is determined primarily by God's action because there are, there are constructs, there are glasses that we are given that shape how we see ourselves and how we see others, and how we see certain types of people, and how we see the world. There are constructs and glasses that shape the way that we see that are distortions, and are half-truths, and are outright lies sometimes, or sometimes are just completely defined by darkness. And these constructs are, are economic, they're social, they're racial, they're they're personal, They're the kinds of constructs that that maybe when you're driving uh, down the road and you have a quiet moment when that voice starts to come up in your head to tell you, you are a failure. There will never be enough. If people really knew who you were, they wouldn't accept you. You guys may have heard of a study that was done back uh, in, in the 1940s um, before the Brown versus Board of Education uh, when there was a study with um, children dolls. Um, and dolls. And they, um, they had this group of, of children, both uh, African-American and white children, and they, they showed them both uh, white dolls and um, brown dolls. And then they asked them a series of questions um, assessing uh, what they thought about each doll and and quite consistently those kids even both the white and the african american kids saw the black and brown dolls as less smart less attractive bad are you are you tracking with me the the ways the, the glasses that we're given, the constructs that we're given, who we tell people that they are, they'll live like it. If we tell someone they're a crook an, uh, or, or a cheat or or a jerk or whatever enough times, they're going to begin to live in light of the voice that's loudest in their lives. They're going to live in light of what they think the world is really like. If, if we're convincing people that the world is at war, then people will start to fight. Are you tracking with me? Paul is saying... That we can see others, we can see ourselves, and we can see the world in light of what God is doing. And God is neither ignoring the darkness nor trying to leverage guilt and shame and fear into getting us to act better. We are included in Christ as holy ones, and we're being called up to live into that identity. This isn't just being naive. This isn't an excuse for living out of alignment with God's vision for human flourishing. This isn't an excuse for, for sinning. Rather, this is just the conditions. Being a saint, understanding yourself as a saint, as a holy one, are the conditions in which God's transformation of our life begin to take place. So this God-centered identity of saints, it releases us it empowers us for living like it, for living like holy ones. So the question is, what would it look like if we did this? What would it look like if we actually lived like holy ones? If it were true that resurrection power is more real than darkness, if that were true, how would we live? In short, we would live as if God really is making sinners Holy. We would live as if God really is. Whether that's in our lives or in those people around us, we would live as if God really is making sinners holy. This is part of what Braxton was getting at last week when he was talking about the, the parable with the Pharisee and the tax collector. There is a way beyond this posture of either self-righteousness or self-condemnation. And it's this, this resurrection-grounded, hopeful realism so Paul says and he prays that these saints would have, they would have wisdom, that they would have enlightened hearts, hearts enlightened with hope and with the power of resurrection. So what he's describing here is, is, is living honestly with the shadows. There is no ignoring of the shadows. There is no ignoring of the darkness living honestly with those, but as we walk with, that, with ourselves or, or things in the world around us, that we give ourselves over to the power of the cross and the resurrection. And if it's the power of the cross and the resurrection, it means that we don't have to fear that those shadows, either in us or the world around us, are going to take things down, are going to take us down in a way that we can't be raised from the dead. We don't have to fear what the shadows can do to us. We don't have to fear our reputation. We don't have to fear what people will think about us. We don't have to pretend, right? That's what we're doing here. We don't have to pretend. Because the kind of power that we're empowered with to live as saints is resurrection power. We don't have to pretend or to be swallowed in self-debasement or in despair. We can start to live like holy ones, to put on Christ. I've got a, for some of you, this will be helpful, but I know for others this won't. So, uh, this is a sports analogy. Um, So, uh, forgive the sports analogy. Um, So, imagine that uh, you play for a team. Um, Call it soccer or American football, whatever. Um, You're on a team, and your team is not very good, and you know that you're not very good, and you're in the fourth quarter, um, and you're down so many points that it's very clear that you're not going to win the game. What it looks like to begin to live as a saint, again, this is not the best analogy, but what it looks like is like being in that fourth quarter and, and continuing to play, being down, but continuing to play as if the coach is delighting in you playing whatever position you 're playing, even though that you know you 're not that great, even though the other team is like you 're going down, even though that you know that there 's no chance for a win that you 're playing your heart out as if, as if you're you 're the best <laughs> and it 's not because you don 't know that like you 've got a lot to work on, that your passing skills aren 't that great or you 're a little a little slow and need to need to work on your fitness or whatever, you know? And it's not even that you actually believe that like you're going you're gonna to be able to do something that's going to defeat the other team. It's that you believe in your deep that there's fundamentally a different reality that's broken forth in the world of play and everybody's invited into a different way of participation. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Let's talk about that afterward, if it doesn't. Christ the King, we... Along with all the faithfully departed saints, as we live into our sainthood, make visible Christ's body to a dark and hurting and broken world. We don't have to convince anyone of anything to go out blaming the darkness that it's dark. We don't have to go out convincing people of their junk. Actually, most people don't need convincing of their junk. Our job is simply to be an image for people with our lives, amidst our junk, of the God-saturated resurrection power set loose in the world. And we're invited to do that tonight. Christ the King, you are saints. There's a special way...